The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, continuing the story of The Hobbit. Chapter 3, Mount Doom. Sam put his ragged orc cloak under his master's head and covered them both with the gray robe of Lorien. And as he did so, his thoughts went out to that fair land and to the elves, and he hoped that the cloth woven by their hands might have some virtue to keep them hidden beyond all hope in this wilderness of fear. He heard the scuffling and cries die down as the troops passed on through the Isen mouth. It seemed that in the confusion and the mingling of many companies of various kinds, they had not been missed, not at any rate. Sam took a sip of water, but pressed, but pressed Frodo to drink, and when his master had recovered a little, he gave him a whole wafer of their precious whey bread and made him eat it. Then, too worn out even to feel much fear, they stretched themselves out. They slept a little in uneasy fits, for their sweat grew chill on them, and the hard stones bit them, and they shivered. Out of the north from the black gate through Sirith Gorgor, they flowed, whispering along the ground a thin, cold air. In the morning, a gray light came again, for in the high regions of the west wind still blew. But down on the stones behind the fences of the black land, the air seemed almost dead, chill and yet stifling. Sam looked up out of the hollow. The land all about was dreary, flat, then a furlong, away northward. The land was the land all about was dreary, flat and dry, drab-hued. On the roads nearby, nothing was moving now, but Sam feared the watchful eyes of the wall of the Isenmouth no more than a furlong away northward. Southeastward, far off like a dark standing shadow, loomed the mountain. Smokes were pouring from it, and while those that rose into the upper air trod away eastward, great rolling clouds floated down its sides and spread over the land. A few miles to the northeast, the foothills of the Ashen Mountains stood like somber gray ghosts behind which the misty northern heights rose like a line of distant cloud hardly darker than the lowering sky. Sam tried, to take a, Sam tried to guess the distances and to decide what way they ought to take. It looks every step of fifty miles, he muttered gloomily, staring at the threatening mountain, and that'll take a week if it takes a day with Mr. Frodo as he is. He shook his head, and as he worked things out, slowly a new dark thought grew in his mind. Never for long had he hoped had hope died in his staunch heart and and always until now he had taken some thought for their return but the bitter truth came home to him at last at best their provision would take them to their goal and when the task was done they would there there they would come to an end alone houseless foodless in the midst of a terrible de de desert there could be no return so that was the job i thought i had to do when i started that sam to help Mr. Frodo to the last step and then die with him? Well, if that is the job, then I must do it. But I would dearly like to see Bywater again, and Rosie Cotton and her brothers, and the gaffer and Marigold and all. I can't think somehow that Gandalf would have sent Mr. Frodo on his errand if there hadn't a way, if there hadn't a been any hope of his ever coming back at all. Things all went wrong when he went, when, when he went down in Moria. I wish he hadn't. He he would have done something. But even as help died in Sam, or seemed to die, it was turned to a new strength. Sam's plain hobbit face grew stern, almost grim, as the will hardened in him, and he felt through all his limbs a thrill, as if he was turning into some creature of stone and steel that neither despair nor weariness nor endless barren mouths could subdue. With a new sense of responsibility, he brought his eyes back to the ground near at hand, studying the next move. As the light as the light grew a little, he saw to his surprise that what from a distance had seemed a wide and featureless flats were in fact all broken and tumbled. 
Indeed, the whole surface of the plains of Golgoroth was pocked and great, pocked with great holes, as if, while it was still a waste of soft mud, it had been smitten with a shower of bolts and huge sling rods, sling, sling stones. The largest of these holes were rimmed with rodges, ridges of broken rock, and broad fissures ran out from them in all directions. It was, it was a land in which it would be possible to creep from hiding to hiding, unseen by all unseen by all but the most watchful eyes, possible at least for one who was strong and had no need for speed. For the hungry and worn who had far to go before life failed, it had an evil look. Thinking of all these things, Sam went back to his master. He had no need to rouse him. Frodo was lying on his back with his eyes open, staring at the cloudy sky. Oh, Mr. Frodo, said Sam, I've been having a look round and thinking a bit. There's nothing on the roads and we'd best get... We'd best be getting away while there's a chance. Can you manage it? I can manage it, said Frodo. I must. Once more they started, crawling from the hollow to hollow, fl flitting behind such cover as they could find, moving always in a slant towards the foothills of the North Range. But as they went, the most easterly of the roads followed them, until it ran off, hugging the skirts of the mountains away into a wall of black shadow far ahead. Neither man nor orc now moved along its flat gray stretches, for the dark lord had almost completed the movement of his forces. And even in the fastness of his own realm, he sought the secrecy of night, fearing the winds of the world that had turned against him, tearing aside his veils, and troubled with tidings of bold spies that had passed through the fences, through his fences. The hobbits had gone a few wearily, weary miles when they halted. Frodo seemed nearly spent. Sam saw that he could not go much further in this fashion, crawling, stooping, now picking a doubtful way very slowly, now hurrying at a stumbling run. I'm going back on the road while the light lasts, Mr. Frodo, he said. Trust no luck again. It nearly failed us last time, but it didn't quite. A steady pace for a few more miles, and then a rest. He was taking a far greater risk than he knew, for Frodo was too much occupied with his burden and with the struggle in his mind to debate, and almost too hopeless to care. They climbed down to the causeway and trudged along, down the hard crew road that led to the dark tower itself. But their luck held, and for the rest of that day they met no living or moving thing, and when night fell they vanished into the dark into the darkness of Mordor. All the land now brooded as at the coming of a great storm, for the captains of the west had passed the crossroads and set flames in the deadly fields of the Emlad Morgul. So the desperate journey went on as the ring went south and the banners of the kings rode north. For the hobbits each day, each mile was more bitter than the one before, as their strength lessened and the land became more evil. They met no enemies by day. At times by night, as they cowered or drowsed uneasily in some hiding beside the road, they heard cries and the noise of many feet or of the swift passing of some cruelly ridden steed. But far worse than all such perils was the ever-approaching threat that beat upon them as they went. The dreadful menace, menace of the power that waited, brooding in deep thought and sleepless malice behind the dark veil about its throne. Nearer and nearer it drew, looming blacker, like the oncoming of a wall of night at the last end of the world. There came at last a dreadful nightfall, and even as the captains of the West drew near to the end of the living lands, the two wanderers came to an hour of blank despair. Four days had passed since they had escaped from the orcs. But the time lay behind them like an ever-darkening dream. At all this last day, Frodo had not spoken, but
but had walked half-bowed, often stumbling, as if his eyes no longer saw the way before his feet. Sam guessed that among all their pains, he bore the worst, the growing weight of the ring, a burden of the a burden on the body and a torment to his mind. Anxiously, Sam noted how his master's left hand would often be raised, as if it were to ward off a blow, or to screen his shrieking eyes from a dreadful eye that sought to look in them, and sometimes his right hand would creep to his breast, clutching and then slowly, as the well-recovered master, it would be withdrawn. Now as the blackness of night returned, Frodo sat, his head between his knees, his arms hanging wearily to the ground, where his hands lay feebly twitching. Sam watched him, till night covered them both and hid them from one another. He could no longer find any words to say, and he turned to his own dark thoughts. As for himself, though wary and under a shadow of fear, he still had some strength left. The Lembas had a virtue without they would a virtue without which they would they would long ago have let, would have lain down to die. It did not satisfy desire, and at times Sam's mind was filled with the memories of food and the longing for simple bread and meat. And yet this labor of the elves had a potency that increased as travelers relied on it alone and did not mingle it with other foods. It fed the will and it gave strength to endure and to master sinew and, and limb beyond the measure of mortal kind. But now a new decision must be made. They could not follow this road any longer, for it went on eastward into the great shadow, but the mountain now loomed upon their right, almost due south, and they must turn towards it. Yet so before it there stretched a wide region of fuming, barren, ash-ridden land. Water, water, muttered Sam. He had stinted himself, and in his parched mouth his tongue seemed thick and swollen. But for all his care they now had very little left, perhaps half his bottle, and maybe there were still days to go. All would long ago have been spent if they had not dared to follow the Orc Road, for at long intervals on that highway cisterns had been built for the use of troops sent in haste through the waterless regions. And once Sam had found some water left, stale, muddied by the Orcs, but still sufficient for the desperate case, yet that was now a day ago. There was no hope of any more. At last, wearied with his care, Sam drowsed, leaving the morrow till it came. He could do no more. Dream and waking mingled uneasily. He saw lights and like gloating eyes and dark creeping shapes, and he heard noises as of wild beasts of the dreadful cries of tortured things, and he would start up to find the world all dark and only empty blackness all about him. Once only, as he stood and stared wildly around, did it seem that, though now awake, he could still see pale lights like eyes, but soon they flickered and vanished. The hateful night passed slowly and reluctantly. Such daylight as followed was dim, for here as the mountain drew near, the air was ever murky, while out of the dark, while out from the dark tower there crept the veils of shadow that Sauron wove about himself. Frodo was lying on his back, not moving. Sam stood beside him, reluctant to speak, and yet knowing that the word now lay with him, he must set his master's will to work for another effort. At length, stooping and caressing Frodo's brow, he spoke in his ear. Wake up, master, he said. Time for another start. As if roused, as if roused by a sudden bell, Frodo rose quickly and stood up and looked away southwards. When his eyes beheld the mountain and the desert, de desert he called again. I can't manage it, Sam, he said. It is such a weight to carry, such a weight. Sam knew before he spoke that it was vain, and that such words might do more harm than good. 
but in his pity he could not keep silent. Then let me carry you for a bit. Let me let, then let me carry it a bit for you, master, he said. You know I would, and gladly, as long as I have any strength. A wild light came into Frodo's eyes. Stand away. Don't touch me, he cried. It is mine, I say. Be off. His hand straight to touch his sword hilt, but then quickly his voice changed. No, no, Sam, he said sadly, but you must understand. It is my burden, and no one else can bear it. It is too late now, Sam, dear. You can't help me in that way again. I am almost in this power now. I could not give it up, and if you tried to take it, I should go mad. Sam nodded. I understand, he said, but I've been thinking, Mr. Frodo. There's other things you might do without it. Why not lighten the load a bit? We're going that way now, as straight as we can make it. He pointed to the mountain. It's no good taking anything we're not sure to need. Frodo looked again towards the mountain. No, he said. We shan't need much on that road. And at its end, nothing. Picking up, pull, picking up his orc shield, he flung it away and threw his helmet after it. Then pulling off the great cloak, he undid the heavy belt and let it fall to the ground. And the sheathed sword with it. The shreds of the black cloak that he tore off and scattered. There, I'll be an orc no more, he cried, and I'll bear no weapon, fair or foul. Let them take me if they will. Sam did likewise and put aside his orc gear, and he took out all the things in his pack. Somehow each of them had become dear to him, if only because he had bore them for so long with so much toil. Hardest of all, it was to part with his cooking gear. Tears welled in his eyes at the thought of casting it away. Do you remember that bit of rabbit, Mr. Frodo? he said. And our place under the warm bank in Captain's, Captain Faramir's country, the day I saw an oliphant? No, I'm afraid not, Sam, said Frodo. At least I know that such things happened, but I cannot see them. No, ta no taste of food, no feel of water, no sound of wind, no memory of, memory of tree or grass or flower, no image of moon or star are left to me. I'm naked in the dark, Sam, and there is no veil between me and the wheel of fire. I begin to see it even when with my waking eyes, and all else fades. Sam went to him and kissed his hand. Then the sooner we're told, were we, the sooner we're rid of it, the sooner to rest, he said haltingly, finding no better words to say. Talking won't mend nothing, he muttered to himself, as he gathered up all the things that they had chosen to cast away. He was not willing to leave them lying open in the wilderness for any eyes to see. Stinker picked up that orc shirt singly, and he isn't growing, going to add a sword to it. His hands were bad enough when empty, and he isn't going to mess with my pans. With that, he carried all the gear away to one of the many gasping fissures that scored the land and threw them in. The clatter of his precious pans as they fell down into the dark was like a little death knell to his heart. He came back to Frodo. And then, all of his elven rope, he cut a short piece to serve his master as a girdle and bind the gray cloak close about his waist. The rest he carefully coiled and put back in his pack. Beside, the, beside that, he kept only the remnants of their whey bread in the water bottle, and Stink still hanging by his belt, and hidden away in a pocket of his tunic next to his breast, the file of Galadriel and the little box that she gave him for his own. Now at last they turned their faces to the mountain and set out, thinking no more of concealment, bending their weariness and failing wills only to one task of going on. In the dimness of its dreary will of in the dimness of its dreary days, few things even in that land of vigilance could have espied them. 
save from close at hand. Of all the sleeves of the dark world, only the Nazgul could have warned him of the peril that crept, small but indomitable, into the very heart of his guarded realm. But the Nazgul and their black wings were abroad on the other errand. They were gathered far away, shadowing the march of the captains of the west, and thither they thought the dark tower was turned. That day it seemed to say that his master had found severe strength, more than could be explained by the small lightning of the load of the load that he had to carry. In the first marches they went further and faster than he had hoped. The land was rough and hostile, but yet they made much progress, and ever the mountain drew nearer. But as the day wore on, all too soon the dim light began to fail. Frodo stooped again and began to stagger, as if the renewed effort had squandered his remaining strength. Has had squandered his remaining strength. At their last halt, he sank down and said, "I'm thirsty, Sam," and did not speak again. Sam gave him a mouthful of water. Only once were mouth, only once more mouthful remained. He went without himself, and now was once more, and, and now was once more the night of murder closed over them. Through all his thoughts, there came a memory of water, and every brook or stream or fount that he had ever seen, under green willow shades or twinkling in the sun, danced and rippled first torment beyond, behind the blindness of his eyes. He felt the cool mud around his to- toes as he paddled in the pool at Bywater with Jolly Cotton and, and Tom and Nibs and their sister Rosie. But that was years ago, he sighed, and far away. The way back, if there is one, goes past the mountain. He could not sleep, and he had a debate with himself. Well, come now, we've done better than you hoped, he said sturdily. Began well anyway. I reckon we crossed half the distance before we stopped. One more day will do it. And then he paused. Don't be a fool, Sam Gamgee, came an answer in his own voice. He won't go another day like that, if he moves at all. And you can't go on much longer giving him all the water and most of the food. I can go on a good way, though, and I will. Where to? To the mountain, of course. But what then, Sam Gamgee, what then? When you get there, what are you going to do? He won't be able to do anything for himself. Jesus May, Sam realized that he had not got an answer to this. He had no clear idea at all. Frodo had not spoken much to him of his errand, and Sam only knew vaguely that the ring had somehow to be put into the fire. Cracks of doom, he muttered, the old name rising to his mind. Well, if Master knows how to find them, I don't. There you are, came an answer. It's all quite useless, he said to himself. You are the fool, going and on helping and cho- toiling. You could have lain down and gone to sleep together days ago if you hadn't been so dogged. But you'll die just the same, or worse. You might just as well lie down now and give it up. You'll never get to the top anyway. I'll get there if I leave everything but my bones behind, said Sam. And I'll carry Mr. Frodo up myself if it breaks my back and heart. So stop arguing. At that moment, Sam felt a tremor in the ground beneath him, and he heard of, or sensed a deep remote rumble as of thunder imprisoned under the earth. There was a brief red flame that flicked under the clouds and died away. The mountain, too, slept uneasily. The last stage of their journey to Orajun came, and it was a torment greater than Sam had ever thought he could bear. He was in pain, and so parched that he could no longer swallow even a mouthful of food. It remained dark, not only because of the smokes of the mountain. There seemed to be a storm coming, and away to the southeast there was a shimmer of lightning under the black skies. Worst of all, the air was full of fumes. Breathing was painful. 
and difficult, and a dizziness came on them, so that they staggered and often fell, and yet their wills did not yield, and they struggled on. The mountain crept up ever nearer, until, if they lifted their heavy heads, it filled all their sight, looming vast before them. The huge mass of ash and slag and burned stone, one of which a sheer-sided cone was raised into the clouds. Before the day-long dusk ended, and June night came again, they had crawled and stumbled to its very feet. With a gasp, Frodo cast himself on the ground. Sam sat by him. To his surprise, he felt tired, but lighter, and his head seemed clear again. No more debates disturbed his mind. He knew all the arguments of despair and, and would not listen to them. He, his will was said, and only death would break it. He felt no longer either desire or need of sleep, but rather of watchfulness. He knew that all the hazards and he knew that all the hazards and perils were now drawing together to a point. The next day would be a day of doom, the day of final effort or disaster, the last gasp. But when would it come? The night seemed endless and timeless, minute after minute f falling dead and adding up to no passing hour, bringing no change. Sam began to wonder if a second darkness had begun and no day would ever reappear. At last he groped for Frodo's hand. It was cold and trembling. His master was shivering. I didn't ought to have left my blanket behind, muttered Sam. And lying down, he tried to comfort Frodo with his arms and body. Then sleep took him, and the dim light of the last day of their quest found them side by side. The wind had fallen the day before as it shifted from the west, and now it came from the north and began to rise and slowly the light of the unseen sun filtered down into the shadows where the hobbits lay. Now for it, now for the last gasp, said Sam as he struggled to his feet. He bent over Frodo, rising him gently. Frodo groaned, but with his great effort of will he staggered up, and then he fell upon his knees again. He raised his eyes with difficulty to the dark slopes of mountain doom towering above him, and then pit pitifully he began to crawl forward on his hands. Sam looked at him and wept in his heart, but no tears came to his dry and stinging eyes. I said I'd carry him if it broke my back, he muttered, and I will. Come, Mr. Frodo, he cried. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you and it as well, so up you get. Come on, Mr. Frodo, dear. Sam will give you a ride. Just tell him where to go, and he'll go. As Frodo clung upon his back, arms loosely about his neck, legs clasped firmly under his arms, Sam staggered to his feet, and then, to his amazement, he felt the burden light. He had feared that he would have barely strength to lift his master alone, and beyond that he had expected to share in the dreadful dragging weight of their cursed ring. But it was but it was not so, whether because Frodo was so worn by his long pains, wound of knife, and venomous sting, and sorrow, sorrow, fear, and homeless wandering, or because some gift of final strength was given to him. Sam lifted Frodo with no more difficulty than if he were carrying a hobbit child, pig aback, in some romp on the lawns or hayfields of the Shire. He took a deep breath and started off. They had reached the mountain's foot of, on its northern side, and a little to the westward there, is, there its long gray slopes, through, though broken, were not sheer. Frodo did not speak, and so Sam struggled on as best he could, having no guidance but the will to climb as high as might as high as might be before his strength gave out and his will broke. On he toiled, up and up, turning this way and that to lessen the slope, often stumbling forward, and at that last crawling like a snail with a heavy burden on its back. When his will could drive him no further and his limbs gave way, he stopped and laid his master gently down. Frodo opened his eyes and drew a breath. It was easier to breathe up here above the reeks that coiled and drifted down below. 
Thank you, Sim, he said in a cracked whisper. How far is there to go? I don't know, said Sim, because I don't know where we're going. He looked back, and then he looked up, and he was amazed to see how far his last effort had brought him. The mountain standing ominous and alone had looked taller than it was. Sam saw now that it was less lofty than the high pit passes of the Ephelduath, which he and Frodo had scaled. The confused and tumbled shoulders of its great base rose from maybe 3,000 feet above the plain, and above them was reared half as high again its, its tall central cone, like a vast oast or chimney capped with a jagged crater. But already Sam was more than halfway up the base. The plain of Golgoroth was dim below him, wrapped in fume and shadow. As he looked up, he would have given a shout if his parched throat had allowed him. For amid the rugged humps and shoulders above, he saw plainly a path or road. It climbed like a rising girdle from the west and wound snake-like about the mountain until, it went, until before it went round out of view, it reached the foot of the cone upon its eastern side. Sam could not see the course immediately above him, where it was lowest, for a steep slope went up from where he stood. But he guessed that if he could only struggle on, on just a little on, on just a little way further up, they would strike this path. A gleam of hope returned to him. They might conquer the mountain yet. Why, it might have been put there a, a purpose, he said to himself. If it wasn't there, I'd have to say it was beaten in the end. The path was not put there for purposes of Sam. He did not know it, but he was looking at Sauron's road from Barad-dur to the Samoth Nor, the Chambers of Fire. Out the dark tower's huge western gate, it came over a deep abyss by a vast bridge of iron, and then passing into the plain, it ran, ran for a league between two smoking chasms, and so reached a long sloping causeway that led up onto the mountain's eastern side. Thence, turning and circling all its wide girth from south to north, it climbed at last, high in the upper cone, but still far from the reeking summit, to a dark entrance that gazed back east straight to the window of the eye and saw on shadow-mantled fortress. fortress. Often blocked or destroyed by the tumults of the mountain's furnaces, always that road was repaired and cleared again by the labors of countless orcs. Sam drew a deep breath. There was a path, but how he was to get up the slope to... To, how he was to get up to the slope to it, he did not know. First, he must ease his aching back. He lay flat beside Frodo for a while. Neither spoke. Slowly, the light grew. Suddenly, a sense of urgency, which he did not understand, came to Sam. It was almost as if he had been called. Now, now, or it will be too late. He braced himself and got up. Frodo also seemed to have felt the call. He struggled to his knees. I'll crawl, Sam, he gasped. So foot by foot, like small gray insects, they, clap, they crept up the slope. They came to the path and found that it was broad, paved with broken rubble and beaten ash. Frodo clambered onto it, and then, moved as if by some compulsion, he turned slowly to face the east. Far off the shadows of Sauron hung, but torn by some gust of wind out of the world, or else moved by some great disquiet within, the mentally in clouds swirled, and for a moment drew aside, and then he saw, rising black, Blacker and darker than the vast shades amid which it stood, the cruel pinnacles and iron crown of the topmost tower of Barad-dûr. One moment only it stared, stared out, but as far, f but as from as but as from some great window immeasurably high, they stabbed northward a flame of red, the flicker of a piercing eye, and then the shadows were filled again, and the terrible vision was removed. The eye was not turned to them; it was gazing north to where the captains of the west stood at bay and thither all its malice was now bent, 
as the power moved to strike a steadily blow. Rufoto, at that dreadful glimpse, fell as one stricken mortally. His hand sought the chain about his neck. Sam knelt by him, faint, almost inaudibly. He heard Frodo whisper, Help me, Sam, help me, Sam, hold my hand, I can't stop it. Sam took his master's hands and laid, laid them together, palm to palm, and kissed them, and then he held them gently between his own. The thought came suddenly to him. He spotted us, it's all up, or it soon will be. Now, Sam Gamgee, this is the end of ends. Again he lifted Frodo and drew his hands down to his breast, letting his master's legs dangle. Then he bowed his head and struggled off, off along the climbing road. It was not as it was not as easy a way to take as it had looked at first. By fortune, the fires that had poured forth in the great turmoils when Sam stood upon Sarathon Ghoul had flowed down mainly on the southern and western slopes, and the road was the side, and the road on this side was not blocked. Yet in many places it had crumbled away or was crossed by gaping rents. After climbing eastward for some time, it bent back upon itself at a sharp angle and went westward for a space. There at the bend it was a cut it was cut deep through a crag of old weathered stone once long ago vomited from the mountain's furnaces. Panting under his load, Sam turned the bend, and even as he did so, out of the corner of his eye he had a glimpse of something falling from the crag, like a small piece of black stone that had toppled off as he passed. A sudden weight smote him and he crashed forward, tearing the backs of his hands that still clasped his master's. Then he knew what had happened, for above him as he lay he heard a hated voice. Wick Wicked master, it hissed. Wicked master cheats us. Cheat Smeagol, go him. He mustn't go that way. He mustn't hurt Precious. Give it to Smeagol. Yes, give it to us. Give it to us. With a violent heave, Sam rose up. At once he drew his sword, but he could do nothing. Gollum and Frodo were locked together. Gollum was tearing at his master, trying to get at the chain in the ring. Now, this was probably the only thing that could have roused the dying embers of Frodo's heart and will. An attack, an attempt to wrest his treasure from him by force. He fought back with a sudden fury that amazed Sam, and Gollum also. Even so, things might have gone far otherwise, if Gollum himself had remained unchanged. But whatever dreadful paths, lonely and hungry and waterless, he had trodden, driven by a devouring desire and a terrible fear, they had left grievous marks on him. He was a lean, starved, haggard thing, all bones and tight-drawn, sallow skin. A wild light flamed in his eyes, but his malice was no longer matched by his old gripping strength. Frodo flung him off and rose up quivering. Down, down, he gasped, clutching his hand to his breast so that beneath of, so beneath the cover of his leather shirt he clasped the ring. Down, you creeping thing, and out of my path. Your time is, is it at an end. You cannot betray me or slay me now. Then suddenly, as before under the eaves of the Hemin Mule, Sam saw the two rivals with other vision. A crouching shape, scarcely more than a shadow of a living thing, a creature now wholly ruined and defeated, yet filled with a hideous lust and rage, and before it stood stern, untouchable now by pity, a figure robed in white, but at its breast it held a will of fire. Out of the fire there spoke a commanding voice. Be gone and trouble me no more. If you ever if you touch me ever again, you shall be cast yourself into the fire of doom. The crouching shape backed away, terror in its blinking eyes, and yet at the same time insatiable desire. Then the vision passed and saw Sam saw Frodo standing, hand on breast, his breath com coming in great gasps, and, Fro and Gollum at his feet, resting on his knees with his wide-splaying hands upon the ground. Look out, cried Sam. He'll spring. He stepped forward, brandishing his sword. Quick, master, he gasped. 
Go on, go on, no time to lose. I'll deal with him, go on. Frodo looked at him as if one now far away. Yes, I must go on, he said. Farewell, Sam, this is the end at last. On Mount Doom, down, on Mount Doom, Doom shall fall. Farewell. He turned and went on, walking slowly but erect up the climbing path. Now, said Sam, at last I can deal with you. He leaped forward with a drawn blade ready for battle, but Gollum did not spring. He fell flat upon the ground and whimpered. Do not kill us, he wept. Don't hurt us with nasty, cruel steel. Let us live, yes, live just a little longer. Lost, lost, we're lost. And when precious ghosts will die, yes, die into the dust. He clawed up the ashes of, of the path with his long, fleshless fingers. Dust, he hissed. Sam's hand wavered. His mind was hot with wrath and the memory of evil. It would be just to slay this treacherous, murderous creature, just and, just and many times deserved, and also it seemed the only safe thing to do. But deep in his heart there was something that restrained him. He could not strike this thing lying in the dust, forlorn, ruinous, utterly wretched. He himself, the only for a little while, had borne the ring, and now dimly he guessed the agony of Gollum's shriveled mind and body enslaved to that ring, unable to find peace or relief ever in life again. But Sam had no words to express what he felt. Oh, curse you, you stinking thing, he said. Go away, be off. I don't trust you, not as far as I could kick you, but be off, or I shall hurt you. Yes, you nasty, cruel steel. With nasty, cruel steel. Colin got up on all fours and backed away for several paces, and then he turned, and as Sam aimed a kick at him, he fled away down the path. Sam gave no more heed to him. He suddenly remembered his master. He looked up the path and could not see him. As fast as he could, he trudged up the road. If he had not looked back, if he had looked back, he might have seen not far below Gollum turn again, and then with the wild light of madness glaring in his eyes come, swiftly but warily creeping on behind, a sleeping shadow among the stones. The path climbed on. Soon it bent again, and with a last eastward course bet, and with a last eastward course passed in a cutting along the fence of the cone, and came to the dark door in the mountainside, the door of the Samoth North. Far away now rising the south, far away now rising towards the south, the sun, piercing the smokes and haze, burned ominous, a dull, bleared disk of red. But all Mordor lay about the mountain like a dead land, silent, shadowfold, waiting for some dreadful stroke. Sam came to the gaping mouth and peered in. It was dark and hot, and a deep rumbling shook the air. Frodo, master, he called. There was no answer. For a moment he stood, his heart beating with wild fears, and then he plunged in. A shadow followed him. At first he could see nothing. In his great need he drew out once more the file of Galadriel, that was pale and cold in his trembling hand, and threw no light into the stifling dark. He was come to the heart of the realm of Sauron and the forges of his ancient might, greatest in Middle-earth. All other powers were here subdued. Fearfully, he took a few uncertain steps in the dark, and then all at once there came a flash of red that leaped upward and smote the high black roof. Then Sam saw that he was in a long cave or tunnel that bored into the mountain's smoking cone. But only a short way ahead, its floor and the walls on either side were cloven by a great fissure, of which the red glare came, now leaping up, now dying down into darkness, and all the wild flare below there was a rumor and a trouble as of great engines throbbing and laboring. The light sprang up again, and there on the brink of the chasm, at the very crack of doom, stood Frodo, black against the glare, tense, erect, but still as if he had been turned to stone. Master, cried Sam, 
Then Frodo stirred and spoke with a clear voice, indeed with a voice clearer and more powerful than Sam had ever heard him use, and it rose above the throb and turmoil of Mount, Mount Doom, ringing in the roof and walls. I have come, he said, but I do not choose now to do what I came to do. I will not do this deed. The ring is mine. And suddenly, as he set it on his finger, he vanished from Sam's sight. Sam gasped, but he had no chance to cry out, for at that moment many things happened. Something struck Sam violently on the back. His legs were knocked from under him, and he was flung aside, striking his head against the stony floor as a dark shape sprang over him. He lay still, and for a moment all went black. And far away, as Frodo put on the ring and claimed it for his own, even in Semeth Nor, the very heart of his of his realm, the power and bare door was shaken, and the tower trembled from its foundations to its proud and bitter crown. The Dark Lord was suddenly aware of him, and his eye piercing all shadows looked across the plain to the door that he had made, and the magnitude of his own folly was revealed to him in a blinding flash, and all the devices of his enemies were at last laid bare. Then his wrath blazed in consuming flame, but his fear rose like a vast black smoke to choke him, for he knew his deadly peril and the threat upon which his doom now hung. From all his policies and webs of fear and treachery, from all his strag strag stratagems and wars, his mind shook free, and throughout his realm a tremor ran. His slaves quailed, and his armies halted, and his captains suddenly steerless, barefoot, bereft or of will wavered and despaired for they were forgotten the whole mind and purpose of the power that wielded them was now bent with overwhelming force upon the mountain at his summons wheeling with a rendering cry and a last desperate face there flew faster than the winds the nazgul the ring race with a storm of with a storm of wings they hurtled southwards to mount doom sam got up he was dazed and blood streaming from Sam got up. He was dazed, and blood streaming from his head dripped at his eyes. He groped forward, and then he saw a strange and terrible thing. Gollum on the edge of the abyss was fighting like a mad thing with an unseen foe. To and fro he swayed, now so near the brink that almost he tumbled in, now dragging back, falling to the ground, rising and falling again. And all the while he hissed but spoke no words. The fires below awoke in anger. The red light blazed, and all the cavern was filled with a great glare and heat. Suddenly Sam saw Gollum's long hand draw upwards to his mouth. His white fangs gleamed and then snapped as they bit. Frodo gave a cry and Frodo gave a cry, and there he was, falling upon his knees at the chasm at the chasm's edge. But Gollum, dancing like a mad thing, had held aloft the ring, a finger still thrust within its pressure, within its circle. It shone now as if verily it was wrought of living fire. Precious, 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 Gollum cried. My precious, oh my precious. And with that, eyes as his eye, even as his eyes were lifted up to glow on his prize, he stepped too far, toppled, wavered for a moment on the brink, and then with a shriek, he fell. Out of the depths came his last wail, precious, and he was gone. There was a roar and a great confusion of noise. Fires leaped up and lit the roof. The throbbing grew to a great tumult, and the mountain shook. Sam ran to Frodo and picked him up and carried him out of, out to the door. And there upon the dark threshold of the Samoth Nor, high above the plains of Mordor, such wonder and terror came on him, and he stood still, forgetting all else, and gazed as one turned to stone. A brief vision he had of swirling cloud, and in the midst of it, the towers and battlements, tall as hills, founded upon a great mountain throne above immeasurable pits, great courts and dungeons, eyeless prisons, sheerest cliffs, and gaping gates of steel and adamant, and then all passed. Towers fell and mountains slid, walls crumbled, 
and melted, crashing down, vast spires of smoke and spouting steams went billowing up, up until they toppled like an overwhelming wave, and its wild crest curled and came foaming down upon the land. And then at last, over the mouths between there, came a rumble, rising to a deafening crash and roar. The earth shook, the plain heaved and cracked, and Oradrune reeled, fire belched from its riven summit, the skies burst into thunder seared with lightning. Down like lashing whips fell a torrent of black rain, and into the heart of the storm, with a cry that pierced all other sounds, tearing the clouds asunder, the Nazgul came, shooting like flaming bolts, as caught in the fiery ruin of hill and sky they crackled, withered, and went out. Well, this is the end, Sam Gamgee, said a voice by his side, and there was Frodo, pale and worn, and yet himself again, and in his eyes there was peace now, neither strain or of will, nor madness, nor any fear. His burden was taken away. There was the dear master of the sweet days in the Shire. Master, cried Sam, and fell upon his knees. In all that ruin of the world for the moment, he felt only joy, great joy. The burden was gone. His master had been saved. He was himself again. He was free. And then Sam caught sight of his of the maimed and bleeding hand. Your poor hand, he said, and I have nothing to bind it with or comfort it. I would have spared him a whole hand a whole hand of mine, rather, but he's gone now beyond recall, gone forever. Yes, said Frodo. But do you remember Gandalf's words? Even Gollum may have something yet to do. But for him, Sam, I could not have destroyed the ring. The quest would have been in vain, even at the bitter end. So let us forgive him, for the quest is achieved, and now all is over. I am glad you're here with me. Here at the end of all things, Sam.